Well, good morning, everybody. It's a little overcast, but it's not raining. It's not that cold. So that means it's a good morning here. We're in a series that we're calling Be the Countercultural Church, in which we're comparing and contrasting the values and priorities of our culture with the values and priorities of the gospel. And one of the questions that probably has been in the background for a number of weeks is, but what is health? What's maturity? What does wisdom look like? Well, we can come up with lots of metrics. You ever notice as we go through life, we want to measure everything. When our kids were real little or when you were real little, height and weight charts. They measure whether growth is happening, whether maturity is going to be coming about. You go to school and there's grades and eventually GPAs. And then you get a job. You get a job and there are performance evaluations. There are lots of measures as we go through life. You measure what's in your 401k. You measure batting averages. We're not going to talk about the ERA of the Phillies bullpen. Uh, but we measure everything that's important in life. But that raises a question. How should we measure spiritual maturity? How should we measure health and wisdom, maturity? How do we measure those things? Well, sometimes the measures are um, external. How often do you read your Bible? How often do you pray? How often do you attend worship services? How are you missionally serving in the community? Now, nothing wrong with those particular measures, but they're all external, and let's be honest, easily faked. You can kind of jump through the hoops and check the boxes without having the internal engine that the gospel calls us to generating those outcomes. Well, we're not left to our own devices to figure out these metrics. In fact, Paul has three famous ones, and they showed up at the end of 1 Corinthians 13. He said, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Interestingly, they seem to be three metrics that Paul wants us to use to measure maturity, to measure our health, to measure our spiritual development, faith, hope, and love. Now, we've been looking at love for the past number of weeks, and remember that we've been saying Love primarily is not measured by how much we are loving by being patient and being kind. All of that comes from measuring whether we experience the love of God and then just reflect that to those around us. We talk about faith almost every week in one way or another. And remember, when it comes to biblical faith, Biblical faith is not so much the amount of faith you have. It's not the purity of the faith you have. It's actually the object of your faith. So for example, you can have all the faith in the world and you're floundering football or baseball team, but if they stink, your faith isn't going to change the outcome. It's the object of our faith that matters. And when it comes to Christianity, It's not the amount or purity of our faith. It's the object of our faith. It's Jesus that makes all the difference. Well, that brings us to the third of those metrics, and that's hope. And just like we've taken a few weeks in the past to look at love, we're going to take the next few weeks, and we're going to look at hope, because hope is often not a subject that gets a full play in church. And so we're going to talk about hope in a number of different ways. Well, we're going to kind of kick that off today, and I thought we would kick it off with just a short little hope inventory. So let me ask you a couple questions. What are you hoping for? Category one, what are you hoping for when it comes to your work? Are you hoping uh, that you'll get back to work? 
Are you hoping that, that the project will come through? Are you hoping that the evaluation will be great? Are you hoping work will be ending and you'll retire soon? What are you hoping for when it comes to work? How about relationship? What are you hoping for there? Are you hoping for the healing of a relationship that's broken? Are you hoping for a new relationship to be established? Are you hoping for relationships that are beyond your thinking right now, but you're hoping that one day they'll come true? Are you hoping that some relationships you may have now will kind of end and you'll be done with that? What are your hopes when it comes to relationship? What are your hopes when it comes to uh, your health? Are you hoping that you maintain the health you have right now for years to come? Or are you hoping you kind of make a U-turn and you get more healthy in the future? Are you hoping that what you've been diagnosed with turns out to not be true? Are you hoping for a miracle from God? When it comes to your health, what are your hopes? You know, human beings cannot not hope. You know that? That's one of the things that sets us apart from the rest of God's creation. We hope for things in the future. You can't not hope. Everybody hopes. We're kind of, you know, relentless, unsatisfied hopers. Well, that really brings us uh, to another question. What is hope then? Well, a lot of people that have studied hope, believe it or not, they're actually people that study hope. I mean, there's a whole institute in Europe. All they do is kind of study hope. Um, I, I hope it's working out for them. Well, here are the main components that most people say are involved in hope. First of all, imagination. You can't have hope unless you picture a preferred future. Remember, you don't hope for what you have. You have that. Hoping is for something you don't have. You've got to be able to picture. You've got to be able to imagine what it would look like in the future. So there's imagination. The second part of hope is desire. You really want it. The third part is you believe it's going to happen. Imagination, you dream it. Secondly, want it. Thirdly, you believe it's going to happen. Every morning, I have the same basic routine. I won't bore you with all the details. But I get up, and the first thing I do is I put the Keurig on, and as soon as it's ready, I take a French roast from a Starbucks little pod, and I put it in the thing and put it down, and I make a cup of Starbucks French roast at home in the Keurig. I then sit and I drink my coffee. But then on the way to work, I hope that Starbucks will be open at Giant and I'll go in and get a venti with very little cream, dark roast, every morning. And so I'm driving and I'm imagining it, right? As I'm driving, I can picture it. I can almost smell it. You know, when the baristas make it, it's a lot better than if you make it at home, isn't it? And so I'm imagining it. I'm thinking, I really want it. I'm desiring it. And most mornings, I try, and it happens. Those three components are involved in everything we hope for. You imagine it, you dream it, you desire it, and you trust it's going to happen. Now, sometimes our hopes don't come true. You know, based on that definition, did you notice something similar? Hope is the anticipation of something good, right? You're imagining it, you're desiring it, and you're trusting it's going to happen. Worry is the anticipation of something bad. They're almost opposite sides of the same dynamic. So if you are really, you know, a worry freak, like you, 
Well, that's just kind of hope upside down. You're on the right track. You just need to flip the, ba- flip the bad for the good, and you're kind of on the right track when it comes to hope. So hope, we dream it, we desire it, we trust it's going to happen. Well, there are then two components, and this is all over the Bible, two components that you should be able to tease out from that definition. Number one, hope always looks ahead, always looks ahead. As I said, you don't hope for what you have, you hope for what you don't have yet. Hope is in the future, hope's future-oriented. You're hoping for things that lie ahead. That's why in the Bible, we're called to hope. That's why in the beginning of Colossians chapter one, Paul says something really weird there. He says, here's the triad again, but he says our faith and love come from hope. It's that picture of the future. It's that desire for it. And it's trust that's gonna happen. We take that future, we pull it into the present and that future picture that we're longing for and trusting is actually driving what's going on in the present. It kind of works like this. We stand at point A, but we imagine something over there at point B. We believe it's going to happen. We trust it's going to happen. It's for our good. We then live in light of that. As I was thinking about that, I couldn't help but regularly think of David. Remember David? Like he, he wrote a whole bunch of the Psalms. Not sure you realize this. David wrote many of those Psalms before he became king. Now, here's the timeline there. David is anointed to be king when he's a little guy by Samuel the prophet. Do you realize he doesn't become king for decades later? But Samuel anoints him. He doesn't become king for like 10, 15 years. He lives knowing he's going to be king. But in the meantime, he loses his job. He loses his family. He loses relationships. His life is a mess. He's a renegade running from Saul who's trying to take his life. But when you read a lot of those Psalms from that time period, you discover David is filled with hope. He's looking ahead to what it's going to be like when he's king. When God gets him on the throne, he's living out those promises. That future picture is pulling him and he's living in the present based on the future. But you know, there's another part to hope that may seem strange at first. And I just lost my place, so it'll seem strange till I find it. And that is that hope also looks back. A real famous section from 1 Corinthians 15, and 1 Corinthians 15 could probably be called the hope chapter. So if 13 is the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 15 is the hope chapter. So here's what Paul writes. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you were saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Now, listen. For what I received in the past, I passed on to you as a first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and then he made all these different appearances. Notice, hope is built on the past Even though we look ahead, we have to look back in order to have hope. So for example, I have hope for that Starbucks coffee because the barista said, Charles, I'll see you tomorrow. I had all those coffees in the past. I looked to the past. That gives me confidence and hope for the future. David looked to the past 
when Samuel anointed him and that past promise that came from God propels him to trust in the future. It's looking back that allows him to look forward. And what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, we hope because we look back at Christ's promise, his death and his resurrection, and what happened in the past causes us to hope that the rest of the story will be true as well. So hope looks to the future, but it looks to the past. And if we're going to have our imaginations and our desires and our trust wrapped around the gospel, then what we need to do with our hope, we need to take our imaginations and dreams, our desires, and bring them more in line with the picture of the future that the Bible gives. We need our desires to sync up more with God's desires and what Jesus has for us. And we need to trust that that plan and those promises will be fulfilled. So maybe in order to hope as God calls us to, we need to let go of some hopes that we have and cling to some other hopes that will never be defeated or unfulfilled. Now I thought uh, this week, probably middle of the week, so how do I end this sermon? You're thinking, oh, good, we're ending already. Wow. Uh, it's not over yet. Take, take it easy. Don't, don't hope for a short sermon. Maybe I'll give a short little motivational speech, right? Get everybody lathered up. You know, get, talk about the hope. Talk about who Jesus is. The prime. Get everybody lathered up so you leave and you're full of hope. But nah, nah, I can look at you and say, that's not going to work. Oh, I know. I'll try to put you on a guilt trip. The Bible calls us to hope and look at you. You don't have any hopes. Build your, make you feel guilty for not hoping as you should. And maybe your guilt will drive you to get in. Nah, that's not going to work either. And I thought, you know, there's some really interesting hope stories in the Bible. And one of my favorite case studies comes from Luke chapter 24. So I'm, I'm going to tell you the story. A couple of verses will come up on the screen. But I encourage you to read Luke 24 today and uh, see how hope gets transformed. Two disciples, it's Easter afternoon evening. They're going back to their hometown in Emmaus. So they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus and they are hopeless. Well, why are they hopeless? Well, here's their story. They're hopeless because they gave up their job to follow Jesus and he died three days ago. They cut off relationships with people who looked at them and told them, don't squander your life. Don't follow this crazy guy. They broke off those relationships to follow Jesus. They probably severed a financial network. They severed things that were familiar with them. And they're going back home defeated and hopeless. In fact, the verse that kind of stands out in my mind is, but we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the Messiah. We had hoped he was going to fulfill the promises. All that stuff that we learned in synagogue about, you know, in synagogue school and all this. We learned about all these glorious things for the future. We believe Jesus was the one going to usher it all in, but now he's dead. And this morning, some women go to the tomb. They say he's not there. Somebody must have stolen his body. They think he might be alive. Well, we think they're crazy. We're going back. Hopeless. Is that where you are? 
You know, I'm reminded of uh, how hopelessness uh, invades all of our lives. When I watch Joe Namath do Medicare commercials, have you seen these? You know, Joe Namath is like uh, 80 years old now. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to watch Joe Namath play. Boy, he was a brash, arrogant quarterback. I can't stand the Jets, but he was, he was their quarterback. And I, I remember he wrote a book. This book's like 50 years old, right? He wrote this book. I can't wait till tomorrow because I get better looking every day. You can go on Amazon and still buy it. It's in the real cheap section now. I can't wait till tomorrow. I get better looking every day. I promise you. I promise you, if Joe Namath is looking forward till tomorrow, it's not for that reason anymore. I've seen those Medicare commercials. Uh, he didn't get better looking every day. Somehow that story went south probably 40 years ago. You know, our hopes can be disappointed, right? What are you hoping in? Are you hoping for health? You look better tomorrow, but you got bad news from the doctor? Are you have good eyesight and look in the mirror? Were you hoping your business wouldn't close, but it wasn't just stopped because of COVID, it was actually shut down and closed forever? Were you hoping that your kids would kind of follow the direction that you thought they should and that would honor God and they're kind of living off the rails and boy, those hopes are dashed too? Are your hopes destroyed because you thought till death do us part, actually meant till death do us part, but it hasn't meant that in your marriage? Are, are your hopes dashed? Are you hopeless? Well, interestingly, their story is really similar to our story. And my guess is we could fill in the blank after their little phrase, but we had hoped. And maybe you wouldn't fill in we had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. What would you fill in? We had hoped I'd be in a much better financial spot than I am. We had hoped that our kids would turn out. We had hoped that we'd be on the right. We had hoped that COVID would be over by now. We had hoped that we're no longer counting infections and, and deaths. We had hoped that we'll be back inside and get rid of these masks. We had hoped, we had hoped, but all those hopes are disappointed. Or how about this one? We had hoped... Life would be a lot longer than this. You know, every day we live is kind of bringing us one day closer to that final chapter. And you think about that a little bit, it can sober you up and sap your hopes. But that's not where the case study ends. You see, it begins with their story. It's helpful for us to kind of jump into the story and remember our story. Their story is hopelessness. Our story is often filled with hopelessness but Jesus walks with them in the story. Jesus is the one asking the questions. And then he says, but did you not know that the Messiah had to suffer? And here I am alive. Notice, just like we said, they're looking ahead. They don't have hope. But Jesus says, if you look back, if you look back to the book, you'll remember that Jesus, the Messiah, had to suffer. He didn't suffer for his own sin. He didn't have to pay for his own debt. He was paying for our sin, paying for our debt. And the penalty that he took was ours. It wasn't his. 
But here he is in their lives, walking with them, saying the Messiah had to suffer, but I rose from the dead and I'm alive forever and ever. Look to the future with hope as you bring your hopes in line with the gospel and do that by looking back. And the resurrection is a key place for those hopes. I had to take my car in this past week because there was a recall on a fuel pump. My fuel pump was fine. It wasn't, but you have to take it in for the recall. So I go in and I've got a letter saying that they're going to do this, perform whatever needs to be done with the recall, and it won't cost me a cent. That's the main reason I went. It won't cost me a cent. So I go up to the counter and they say, okay, they take the car one whole day, right? I go back, have to drive through traffic two days in a row to go get drop off the car, pick up the car. Go back, I go up, and the lady behind the counter says, um, that'll be $569. I didn't ask her what she was smoking. I said, what, what? Um, if I didn't know that, I'd never brought the car in. I took out the letter, very calm. I was getting irritated inside, but I wasn't showing it on the outside yet. I figured that that may come in a minute. Um, I laid the letter on the counter, and I said, um, I think this recall is covered completely covered by this letter, or the letter proves that. She takes the letter, she says, up, you are exactly right. No charge for the recall. You know what? The resurrection is kind of like that letter. The one big difference is, There'll come a day when the bill that you owe is going to be a whole lot more than $569. And there's no way you're going to be able to pay it. But if you look back to what Jesus did to pay that debt, and if you have the letter of the resurrection as proof that your debt, your recall is covered, you can face the future and you can stand that day in full confidence forever. So we learned about hope. Hope is um, dreaming, right? It's imagining, and it's desiring, and it's trusting. And Christian hope is bringing our hopes in line with the gospel hopes. And we look forward, and we live out of, we live based on what's going to happen in the promise. We look back and find our confidence. We get that letter in the past. Only one thing left. You have to transact that reality. You've got to take the letter, drive the car to the recall shop, and transact the payment. Not your payment, Jesus' payment. You know, the end of the hope story is really choice. The ball's in our court. Are you going to trade up your hopes, which really are nothing more than hopelessnesses, they're fictions? Are you going to trade up your little hopes for the giant hope of the gospel? Rather than trust yourself, are you going to trust Jesus, what he did for you, his resurrection as your guarantee? And are you going to live out of that story? Or are you going to live out of your little story of hopelessness, ups and downs, driving the roller coaster of your hopes that fade and come into sight again? You know, the call of the gospel is to make a choice. Trade up. Trade up your hopes based on you to the ultimate hope based on Jesus. You can transact that deal by asking Jesus to forgive your sins, look back to what he's done, live out of the future that he promises, 
and that story can become your story. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that our hope is not based on what we can do and what we can achieve and what we manipulate and what we connive, and it's not based on our wisdom and it's not based on our strength. It's based on Jesus. It's based on who he is and what he's done. It's based on him taking our place and dying for our sins, but rising again from the dead. And Lord, as we look back to those events and to who he is, we look forward to the future with knowing that since those promises are true, we can trust them for all the other promises too. Lord, help us as we look forward to the future to live out that future today in some small ways as we give you thanks for the past and we walk into the future with hope, blessed, confident assurance. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.